Welcome to episode 356 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Are you tired of the same DEI training rehashed and repeated over and over amidst the climate of polarization and misinformation around the work of dismantling systemic racism in schools, workplaces, and communities? You're invited to attend the People's Gathering, a unique professional development opportunity for anti-racist leaders and those becoming to gather for a day of truth-telling, strategic planning, and coalition building. Hosted by Pacific Lutheran University's Continuing Education, the 14th convening of the People's Gathering is a day-long event on Thursday, November 9th. I'm privileged to be, once again, the Zoom producer of this empowering event. In the program's second half, over 500 participants gather in small groups of 10 based on race and ethnicity to discuss ways to skill up their anti-racist leadership acumen and practice. It's a really powerful and intimate experience. This is my fourth time as executive Zoom producer of this virtual event, and it's so different from a boring webinar that I included it as an example in the opening chapter of my award-winning book, Breakout of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events. Who should attend the People's Gathering? Anyone seeking to commit to the collective work of dismantling systemic racism and promoting equity and justice for all wherever they have influence. Specifically, anyone in an anti-racist leadership development journey working in government agencies at every level, tribal, federal, state, local, nonprofits, for-profit corporations, K-12 education, higher education, entrepreneurs, faith-based organizations, individuals, and more. Register at plu.edu forward slash TPG. That's plu.edu forward slash TPG. Please let me know if you're going to be there and invite your colleagues. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest is a passion instigator. She teaches her clients to replace inaction and fear with explorative, confident, forward movement in their lives. For over 30 years, she has been a strengths-based coach who helps business owners struggling with ADHD, social anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue, and other invisible disabilities to take decisive action, build lasting relationships, and bring in profit. She focuses on empowerment coaching, invisible disabilities, ADHD, depression, social anxiety, etc., team building, and motivational sessions. Her people are in midlife transitions, have forgotten their awesomeness, want to focus on themselves, and stop caring about what other people think. 
she can see possibilities that result in absolute joy. Please join me in welcoming Regina Carey. Welcome, Regina. Hide behind your big smiley face. You're funny. I mean, why not if you've got it, you know? Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. As you know, it's a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you have the skills to lead? Mm. Leadership, you know, we read about it. As leaders, we're always reading about it. You had one of my favorite leaders on, Seth Godin. And I believe for myself that leading came really easy. I always knew I wanted to start something. I'm a great starter. So when you when you know that you're good at at sort of um getting things going, but the the truth is you have to keep showing up. And as a leader, I believe it takes a lot of self-care because if I'm not taking care of myself and practicing what it is that I'm teaching, I'm not able to show up for the people I'm leading. And I, I truly believe it means taking emotional risks. There are a lot of other things, financial risks, mm -hmm. <laughs> things that we have yeah. to go through as business owners. Yeah, there's a big tie, it seems, between being an entrepreneur being a leader. So I appreciate you like kind of bringing those pieces together. The idea that it's not just about getting things going, it's keeping things going. It's, it's you know, sharing a piece of yourself. I'm, I'm curious, when did you start to realize you had some of these these <laughs> attributes? I was thinking about that, you know, I went to, I went to Catholic school and, um, first through eighth grade and they do, you know, Catholic school. I mean, especially back in the seventies, it was, it was, it was awkward, but they would do things like, you know, the teacher in the class had to go out and take a, a phone call. And so the principal came down and got me out of my fifth grade, you know, math class woo and said, Gina, would you watch the class while Sister Marie is on the phone? Certainly. So I take my my throne at the top because back then, you know, teachers just sat at the desk and in front of the room and watched the kids. And so I sat at the desk and I'm watching the kids. One of those little second graders came up and asked a math question. And before you could say two plus two is four, I had a full blown lesson going. I was using the chalkboard. I was using the overhead projector. And I think when the sister Marie came back, she was like, what is happening? And at that point I should have said, I'm leading the class, but I loved it. It was so easy. I just was like, oh, you have a question? That probably means everybody has the same question. So why not? I love this. It's uh, very clearly who you are, because every time we're on a Zoom call, you've always got this big uh, piece of uh, white flip chart paper behind you. And you're always scrawling your takeaways or, or like ideas or charts on it. Um, I can just imagine you, you know, jumping to the front of the class with a piece of chalk and like, you know, starting to diagram for people um, how, to, how to do this second grader math question. I could succeed at second grade math. Fifth, not so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had that. So, so let's roll the clock back even a little further. Like, what were you like in grade school in the playground? Did you, you know, did you see other people see? I mean, obviously the fact that the principal pulled you out of class means something about how they already saw you. Did you run for student office? What was, 
you went to public school, I assume, right after that. So what was that transition like? And did you get involved after school activities? Like, I don't know, what was what was those early years like for you? Oh, well, hmm. I really I didn't like school. I back in, you know, back in those days, girls with invisible disabilities flew under the radar. I mean, God bless our our parents and our caregivers because what I did was I attended to everyone else. And so as a as a child, I was always making sure things were moving, people were doing what they were supposed to be doing, even though I wasn't. Um, I remember my mom coming into a parent-teacher conference with me and saying, you know, my daughter is doing three hours of homework in the third grade. This is unacceptable. And Mrs. Shook said, well, it's because she spends her entire day making sure everyone else gets their work done. So we would, you know, we had to readjust sort of what the expectation was. The other thing is I was always in motion. I grew up on a farm. So those were the days where you could send your kids out when the sun came up and, you know, come back in when the, when the sun goes down. And I explored everything. I climbed trees and I rode dirt bikes and I was interacting with, you know, that the cows and the pigs and um, eating off the land. So if we were thirsty, we went to the green beans. If we were hungry, we went to the apple trees and the pear trees. I mean, it was amazing. And I loved that. No restriction. But then Title IX came and was like, ooh, sports. Let's try sports. Well, the only thing I was good at was kickball. I do have strong legs. I will say that, which is why I love standing. All, I stand all the time. And when I got into high school, I tried out for cheerleading. No way. Couldn't, couldn't do a cartwheel round off to save my life. Then I tried swimming. I wouldn't ever be able to win a race. So what I did was I became the manager of the swim team. I became the editor of the magazine, the you know, the the head of the student council. I did those kind of things. So yeah, it evolved, you know, my leadership. I found a way to lead. I had no idea you grew up in a farm. What state were you growing up Ohio. in? Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. So it's fun that you or I <laughs> know each other all this time. I didn't know this thing about you. So Catholic school for early years, you grew up on a farm out all day from, from morning to night. Um, Title IX comes along. You give you the opportunity to have equal access to, um, to playing sports. And you find that you're really, I mean, managing, I actually can really relate to this. There was a, an after-school club in my high school called um, Rock Band. And Ooh. twice a week, uh, garage bands, you know, like, you know, yes. bands that bands are generally just played in someone's garage would come and play in this room, uh, after school. And we raised money for a recording studio. Ah. And so we, and I think we got to the point where we had like a four track. <laughs> um, and so we did that. And so I like learned how to play guitar early, but never well enough to play kind of like we said about swim. I wasn't winning any contests. And I saw a need to organize. And so I organized them and I got someone to, to design a t-shirt that I sold and I sold tickets to our concert and, you know, just like created really fun things and, and became like the de facto business manager because we didn't have one. 
Um, so like you said, like you just find your way in, but it sounds like you also sought out some more traditional roles like editor of um, a magazine or a paper and like school council and all that. Uh, what drew you to ha- those kinds of activities? Like, why did you like being the one who's organized or you just maybe were the one who's organized? I don't know. I know. I, maybe yes, maybe no. And, you know, I hear a lot of people interviewed saying, oh, I was always entrepreneurial. Not me. No way. No way. But I always knew I could find a way. And I think I got that from my father. He was a salesman. And I watched him very carefully. I would drive with him. He'd take me to school and we'd go into his office in in Toledo, Ohio, which was the big city. And he could drive and put his hand anywhere and know what he was grabbing. So, you know, he also read the newspaper while he drove, but I won't go into that. But he could open up this and get that and reach over and everything was accessible. And I was always fascinated by that. And I paid attention to detail. Now, herein lies the undiagnosed part of my life. I believe I was undiagnosed ADHD dyslexic because I did not read. I didn't like to read. I could listen to stories all day long. People tell me stories. And then, of course, when Audible came around, that was my, that was like having the jail cell open. And I felt such freedom with that invention. So thanks to whoever did that, I should know. But um, I think that I always was able to pay attention to details because I observed those in nature, the tiniest little things, you know, and I'd sit in the apple tree for hours and look at the bark and look at the leaves and look at how things were growing. And so Editing, editing is really simple. I always, every book I've ever read, I catch a grammatical uh, error or a spelling error uh, or double, you know, I, I catch those things. So even though you're, you're dealing with undiagnosed dyslexia, you still felt confident with the editing because you're going at your own pace and you were catching these little details. Yeah, because when I would read, I read word for word for word for word. And so you get to know what it looks like, what it, how much space it ought to take up, how, what the letters did in the spelling. Yeah. And, and so how that shows up for me today is I still need the GPS to get home. Like if I don't, have you ever been in the car in, in, a, in an area that you're unfamiliar with and you go to load maps or something on your phone and it won't load? And that is my worst nightmare. That has happened a couple times, but it is unnerving. And unless I know my directions and I have that step-by-step, I'm lost. Yeah. I also have had moments where I was driving out of my fairly new area a couple of years ago and I went straight through a light instead of turning right, like I always do. And straight through the light ended up in like a, a, like a complex parking lot. (laughs) And I was very confused. (laughs) I was like, what like, am I doing? Dead, right. What am I doing here? Like, I th- this doesn't look familiar at all. And I was about two and a half minutes from home. And I was like, what? Where am I? So I get that. Like, that autopilot sometimes kicks in and it just doesn't always work. Um, so, yeah. I, I also joke that I finally know how to get to, G- uh, to Costco without GPS now. It's like my big... Okay. 
right. There are some things where we get going and we're there a lot that it doesn't. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Until you get distracted by life and yeah, kids in the back seat and all that. So this is really interesting. I mean, the, a lot of a lot of women getting diagnosed very late in life for um, dyslexia, autism, ADHD, ADD. Um, these things are not something that we saw a lot of in, in girls years ago because people were looking at it wrong symptoms wise. Um, how did, looking back, like how did that sort of shape your life? I mean, clearly you found strengths through it. It seems like you, the, the whole like find a way, like you, you found you, your, your crutches were not holding you back. They were actually bringing you closer to what you needed. Absolutely. And in fact, I'm going to give you, I'm going to practice an example right now of how this, how else this shows up in my life when there's distraction, like let's say the neighbor is mowing his yard because he just retired. Um, I have to shut the window because anything extra when I'm interacting with a person completely derails my attention back to the question. So what I, my life in my career has always been this dichotomy of structure and freedom, structure and freedom. And I've been lucky in that as I have followed my husband through his professional training, I've been able to recreate what I do wherever we go. And I wasn't ever there for very long because we'd always go on to the next thing, which was awesome for somebody who loves new <laughs> and pioneering things and never quite knowing what the next day is going to bring. So I finally settled into a university here in Michigan. And I, every semester had to justify my job. I had to write about why I'm worthy to have this job. And six, seven years ago, something in me finally snapped and said, mm -mm. I'm, I am no longer living or working in the confines of these rules, which of course were pretty much constructed by white males. And my whole life has been about special education, advocacy, empowering, educating, and I wasn't doing it to the best of my ability. So I launched out and started my own company, Carry On. All right. I'm going to backtrack a little bit because you're, you're getting ahead of me, but I, I appreciate it. And I want to, I want to bring you back there in a moment. But I'm, I want to know what you thought you were going to be when you mm. grew up. Like if you look at back to when you were 12, 13 years old, First of all, was college a given? Um, was a career path a given? Was there something you thought you had to do or should do? Uh, but what did you think you wanted to be at 12, 13 years old when you grew up? Okay, this goes back to Catholic school. When one day uh, in my the beginning of my eighth grade year, I was young. So I was, I think I was not quite 12, maybe. And the male guidance counselor came to our school, Mr. Red. And Mr. Red and I went into a room, which was like the book closet. That would never happen today. Again, just sort of the strangeness of, of early days in Catholic schools. But he sat with me and went over my grades and talked to me about what I wanted to do. And I was certain I wanted to be a physical therapist. I always knew that I had intuitive gifts and energetically, I was so keyed into 
life, nature, people. I always had that as a child. And I knew that at some level I could be healing through my hands. And so physical therapy was it. And yes, college was a given. I knew I had to go to college to do this. I was so excited to say it out loud. And he looked at my grades and said, well, your grades aren't very good in math and science. So I'm afraid you're just not qualified, probably said you're not smart enough to be that. So what's your other option? So what was I supposed to do then? Um, You know, my options were what nursing and teaching. And I knew I wasn't going to go into the medical field. So I said a teacher. And I kind of, I remember that sensation of shrugging my shoulders and being completely defeated. So he signed me up for physical science to start out with, you know, and my next four years in high school were set in stone. I didn't know that we could go back in and readjust my schedule. I didn't know that I, I could complain about this or use my voice or say, no, this isn't right. This is not what I want. I followed the rules. I listened to what he said, and I never, ever saw that man again. Wow. <laughs> and yet he, he pretty much set my fate. That's fascinating that he had like all of a few minutes with you. Um, it's kind of scanned over your test scores up to that point, basically your assessed scores in seventh and eighth grade and determined that you weren't going to get better in high school. Like if that had been your dedication, you could have gotten uh, support tutors, extra, extra work. Like you could have applied yourself, but you know, he, he really put some guardrails on and kept you back. And so it's also interesting because teaching is so much of who you are, right? Like through and through that it's a fallback, but it's also one that probably felt a little bit natural it yes. just was like, I think because you had your sights set on some other goal that felt like a setback. When you went to college, did, you know, was was teaching still a part of what you were planning to do, or did, what kind of degree did you get? Yes, I got my degree in special education from a Lutheran. I think maybe I went to a, a Lutheran college because I thought maybe there'd be some change. I needed to get out of the the Catholic stuff, but um, it was a small college called Wittenberg. And I, I mean, it, it was okay. If I had college to do over, I sure would. But I went through my four years, you know, and I had had, I've written out this plan, Robbie, when I was very young about sort of order of operations. So I knew exactly what steps I was going to take and how that was going to go. And I did everything I put on that list. Um, right, right up until having the, you know, 2.5 kids. And then this is what's beautiful about the work that I do, because we get to this certain point in our life where we are looking at those lists and saying, okay, now what? I've done everything. And I really not a big fan of of the midlife, anything midlife crisis, (laughs) but it's next phase. This is next phase living. And Mm -hmm. I was, I was, able to watch my mother do that again and again and again across her life. And she is really the biggest inspiration for all of my transformation and my willingness to, to continue to move forward, even through challenges. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you, I mean, you made lemonade quite literally, uh, you just, you just, you just drink in the Kool-Aid and your own best stuff. 
Um, and even that phrase has got problematic. But um, I, I love that you you made the most of it that you could. That's really, I guess, what I would say. And your energy around life is continuously bringing you through. Um, when you graduated college, did you have a plan for what was next? Did you go and were you in special ed as a teacher for a long time? Yeah, well, not for a long time. For you'll love this. <laughs> for the stati- the statistics say three and a half years is the career lifeline of a special ed teacher, and I was that to the month. Huh. Three and a half years, and it was more because again I got an opportunity. Somebody offered me a spot at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill to get my master's and have it paid for, and even though I was like school, I don't know, but it was a new opportunity. It was a change of environment, which was that, that decision was a pivotal part of my life because it took me out of Mebane, North Carolina, um, tiny, tiny little town into Chapel Hill, which who you know, quite different, quite different. And you were in your 20s at that point. I was. What a time. So you're in your 20s. You're now like experiencing a wider diversity of people, I'm guessing. You're getting to live life in a different way. Um, What was the master's degree in? The master's degree was in education with a focus on learning disabilities specifically. And so I was exposed to you know, top-notch researchers, everything was happening. And like, I, I went from this tiny little place where you, again, follow the rules, do what they say, don't make any waves ever, and and make sure, above all, you get your paperwork done. I mean, that, for a special ed teacher, every special ed teacher who might be watching this gets that, so much paperwork. And I went into this bright engaging, um, challenging environment that I, where I was exposed, I, the, they had just hired somebody from Apple when I started and she was in assistive technology and I was like a moth to the light. It was so fascinating. And I was one of the first people in North Carolina to test out long distance learning. I mean, the internet was just it's like, what is happening? This is so cool. Yeah, I loved it. What um, year is this? It was 1995. And yeah, um, yeah. That, that is early for long distance learning. I think 95. By then I had access to email at my college's computer science lab. But it was um, the the black screen with a green writing that was impossible yes. to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when it broke, you had to call over the kid with a huge <laughs> stack of paper and he would flip through the book trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, and I thought, this is never going to take off if it's always this hard. <laughs> this is really hard. Like, I'm pretty savvy when it comes. I mean, why, what's wrong with this? Um, so to, for you to that in that, like around that time frame, be doing long distance learning, it's fascinating. Um, what did you do with the degree? Did you continue in doing special ed? I, I shifted. Thank you for asking that because I, I was actually in, this makes me think I was in a book 
about that that the special ed, the professors at Michigan State were writing a book about what to what you can do with your special education degree. And I remember being I have a chapter in that book and it was all about using it to level myself up because as a teacher, you have nowhere to go. What do you want to be? The assistant principal? Um, no. And I was able to move into teaching teachers. I was a part of a very large um, grant that worked on partnership and technology. And so we were talking all across the state of North Carolina. And then when we moved to Wisconsin for vet school, I was able to use my skills as a learning specialist for the athletic department. And then coming to Michigan State, I kept I kept teaching and working. I worked in the resource center for persons with disabilities. It, I always wanted to have an impact and support and help people use their voices. And so short of that first interview with the Alamance County School System down in North Carolina, that was the only position I ever interviewed for. The rest of them, I walked in and said, I can help you. <laughs> you want to hire me because I will leave this place better than I found it. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I and I heard you say earlier that you reached a point where you wanted to create your own business and not be clocking in to something else. I'm curious by that point, did you have entrepreneurs in your life? Did you have any sense of what that meant? No, <laughs> that is the easy answer. I had no idea what I was doing. No background in business. I mean, I watched my dad start businesses and sell things and he always made it look fun. And um, I knew that working the way I was working was was affecting my health. It was affecting my family. And it, it was, it was a great adventure. That's the way I saw it. And again, I was always going to find a way to make it work. What year is this about? 2016, 2017. I think I did the paperwork in 2017. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we, we, we just jumped from like 95 to 2016. So that's, that's a solid amount of time to be in the workforce, mm -hmm. adding value, doing your thing. And then you're like, I got to do this differently. How did you, first of all, identify what you were going to do next? I mean, you had all these skills. You were teaching teachers, right? You, you understood technology. You were not afraid of technology. You had all these skills to offer. How did you figure out who your audience was, what you were selling to them? How did you find entrepreneurial community? How do you how do you sort of initially get your sea legs around this? Well, it 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 took one person asking me one question. And I, you know, isn't that always the way? It doesn't take much to <laughs> light a spark. But somebody asked me what I was doing with my creative energy. And I couldn't answer her. I had no idea other than taking care of my kids and you know, making ends meet. And so that day I marched into our local library and sat down with the application form to use their event space. And I had to create something that was free and um, it, I needed to use it consistently for a certain amount of time. And so right then and there, I created a women's group 
and printed out forms, uh, walked around and put them up in Starbucks and in Target and just all over. I was boots on the ground. And I called all my friends and said, hey, I'm doing this thing and I'll feed you. And so the first Friday of every month for three months, I had women uh, fill that space. I ended up with over two dozen women each time. And I live, I brought in um, through, well, it wasn't Zoom then. It was um, FaceTiming and, um, oh gosh, what was that one that we always use? Skype, FaceTiming and Skype. I had somebody tune in from Finland and one from Miami, Florida. And I was doing group work. We were talking about issues that women were facing and how to, you know, I started my strategies right then and there, mind, body, spirit. I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I had the skills to do it. <laughs> so how's that for, how's that for an answer? And that's where it started. It, it started that way. And then people came to me and said, could you do a workshop on this? Would you do a talk on this? Can we have a group on this? And I kept saying yes. Now, were you employed at the time when you first started this? this no. After you left your job, when you're trying to figure out what to do next, yeah. besides just being full-time mom, <laughs> you're like, I want to do more than that. This is fascinating because um, there are lots of ways that people wait to be asked to create value or they they want permission to do something. And nowadays it's, it's easier than ever to create our own stages, to create our own events, to create our own experiences, to create value. Um, but you're pointing out that even back then in 2017, you know, and today <laughs> libraries offer you space and they want programming. I had a deal for a lot of years, like seven, eight years, there was a nonprofit center in Boston that brought together all these nonprofits under one roof and did shared resources. And I had a group that had no house, had no home, had no, had no physical space. It was just a meetup group. And I said, you know, we want to do this certain kind of programming. Uh, we want to do, um, basically we were calling it like skill shares, like, but we're like professional development skill shares. Like we're, we want to do trainings, but we didn't know what, I didn't know what train, I wasn't calling it trainings. And they said, well, will you do it every month? Yes. Um, I said, and there's a fee that will, will you give a, our people in our building the lower end of the fee? Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's a sliding scale. Okay, people can pay literally whatever they want and they'll come in. And so, yeah, we had this partnership, but like you said, it, it builds up skills for you. People get to see you and then you get all these referrals in. Now, my question would be, how did you figure out what to charge or did you charge when these people asked you then to like bring something bespoke to them? Did you you start to figure out, oh, this is not just like a hobby thing I did for three months. This is something I'm going to turn into a business. Right. And, and I will say that when my husband started vet school, we moved into, uh, we moved to Madison, Wisconsin. I, I didn't know anybody and I had just had a child. And so I was fortunate in that time to still be employed we did it long distance. I mean, thank God for technology because I was able to maintain my position, organize a conference down in the, you know, the beaches of North Carolina from, from Madison, Wisconsin. And at that time I reached out to the rehabilitation services. So I started to, I, I got an idea of what to charge based on 
government. And so I began to kind of gauge that a little bit and of course increase it as I, you know, got my experience. And so it was a nice way for me when I finally did go into business for myself to go through my history of work and say, oh yeah, I remember a time when I was charging $25 an hour for coaching and it looks a whole lot different now. And, you know, that is the other thing is that we have to continually be pouring into ourselves. I'm, I invest a lot in my learning and my ongoing education. And that comes out in my business. It comes out in what I provide as a service to my clients. And it makes a difference when you are excited yourself uh, about learning and investing. You you constantly have to be doing that or leadership goes down the, the toilet. Yeah. When did you start to meet other entrepreneurs? The pandemic. So you're like three years kind of floating on your own, figuring this out. For sure. Yeah. And then what happened in the pandemic what, that led you to meeting more people? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Coming on to your uh, no more bad Zoom. I mean, we spent lots of Friday nights together and that was amazing. And it was it was really important because, the, of course, the minute I decided to start my own business, all hell broke loose in my life. All, all of it, you name it, it it hit the fan, whatever um, you can think of. Yes, it probably happened, Um, except divorce. I did not go through divorce. The one thing that has been a a stable in my life is 33 years with my husband. And that comes through going through all of this life together and also the willingness to, again, find the way. I keep pointing at the board for those who are listening, my board, find a way. You have to make it work. And so I told my family, look, this is an important component of my business. I'm going to start being on Zoom. My office door is the minute my daughter moved out, I rearranged her room into an office. You're No, you cannot come back home. (laughs) Find a friend. But shutting your office door, setting new boundaries, you know, getting on everything I could get my hands on. I wanted to be a part of it and learn. And this Zoom was always easy for me. I loved it. And um, partly because I have props. So I use props a lot. I'm always talking about, you know, things I may bring out a rock. Um, I have a, I have maracas. I mean, I love props and I love entertaining. That was a that was a an arm of my life I didn't um, give too much energy to, but always wanted to. It's really funny because I feel like I knew your name before the pandemic. Like you were in my inbox. I think you and I had even responded a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly you're popping up, and I was hosting this weekly free. No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour, which I'm now still hosting once a month. And you can go to nomorebadzoom.com to hang out with Gina and I. Um, But you, you know, you've probably heard about it because I was posting about it on my email and you popped in and you became one of the regulars and you've given so much into the group. And I'm imagining you've also gotten a lot out of it because the relationships I know you've formed. Uh, And then two years in, I switched that to monthly and then started the content and connection club, which is a 
low dollar. I now I charge $25 a month for people to be ongoing members and to come every Friday and we have online co- you know, course content and et cetera. And you became a staple in that space as well. And I really came to rely on you. So it's, it's interesting how we've yet to meet <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and how we've all really influenced and impacted each other's lives. Yeah. Um, it's hard for you to imagine that you hadn't already been part of an entrepreneurial sort of space before that time, given the work that you were doing. What's the highlights of what you've learned? Like has, how has having entrepreneurs in your life changed the way you've approached your business or approached goal setting or visioning or any of that? I love the way people who run their own lives think. I have always thought the way they think outside the box. You know, there isn't even a box. I remember when my son brought home a picture and he went to Catholic school, still going to Catholic school, but in, in kindergarten and he had to draw his family. And of course he had to draw his family in a box and, and talk about his home. And everybody was in the box except me. (laughs) He drew me. And I said, Oh, sweetheart, you know, your mama, don't you? So that thinking, always doing something a little bit different. And, you know, it's like being a part of a group where you don't have to start off by saying, this may sound crazy or, you know, forgive me for being a little bit bold here, but no, we, I mean, we come at life, we come at business full steam ahead because we're excited about the next thing. We're, we're excited about building, um, and creating. I mean, it's always about creating. Yeah. I mean, it is nice to also have enough repeat uh, customers, right? Enough repeat um, members who come, who get to know each other. So you're not always reintroducing yourself. But I've also found this is a space where people were very naturally open to newcomers, which is something I struggled with for in-person events where people get really clicky. But there's something about it being virtual where people like stayed curious, stayed open. Um, I'm curious about networking specifically for you because I see you as the person who cares a lot about relationships and I because I've witnessed how you've developed those relationships in those three years that like I've known you and you have that inner circle of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with but then there's always that second and third layer or tier out the people you might see once you're at a conference or you work with them five years ago we haven't had a reason to since oh you enjoy each other's company I should definitely mention that so how do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of I guess weaker ties any habits philosophies practices? Well, I, I do have a, um, I do have a weekly email newsletter and I, you know, I do it all. I get face to face. I direct message people. I have started to do more phone calling. You know, did you know that cell phones actually can be used as telephones and I will call and this, you know what? I will tell you this. One of the things that I will always do is if I call you and you have an automated voicemail, I will sing. I will, I will read you the riot act because the people I'm calling are brilliant, amazing people with great voices, by the way. And if you're somebody in business, by golly, you need to be on your voicemail. So if anybody wants to, you know, approach that topic, they can go to queenofaction.com and get on my calendar because we can get it done in one little 15 minute session. But I, I love people. So anywhere, whether I'm in the grocery line or, you know, at an event, um, what I have started to do on LinkedIn, which is where I really like to hang out, 
is I, it's like being in a candy store and I get to, if somebody's post jumps out at me, I always make a comment and give them props or cheer them on or, you know, validate what they just said more than just a thumbs up. Always. I will never be the one giving you a thumbs up, by the way. I really appreciate it. I feel like the content you've been putting on LinkedIn has really stepped up and like you've been starting conversations and sharing a little bit more of who you are, what you do, what you're about. Do you have a list of people you specifically want to nurture like over a year or a period of time? Do you have a spreadsheet or a CRM or a stack of business cards, index cards, or is it more like intuitive than that? You know what? I wish I could say I have, somebody ought to come up with the intuitive CRM. Um, I have no, no system that I use consistently. And you know, that's a, that's a double-edged sword. So it's my superpower and my kryptonite. But what I do know is that I'm, I'm really focusing in more on the people I want to be talking to, the people who are, are taking care of hearts, human hearts, the people who are taking care of animals, the people who are in next phase living, who may be struggling with an invisible disability because one in four. So it's, it's pretty good odds that, you know, not only somebody you work with, but somebody in your family. And I love, I I tend to attract those people, Robbie, just Mm -hmm. naturally. And, um, and I teach people to embrace all of it. And so one time I will tell you this, I saw a picture of a woman on LinkedIn, just a picture with her arms wide up like a Y. And I stopped, you know, how when you're scrolling, it takes a lot to make you stop. That was, it almost felt like a, like a, um, that was our, that was our symbol to each other. Our, our sign of you are like me because anybody who throws their arms up in the air, that's my, that's my person. Mm -hmm. High (laughs) energy, open, fun, energetic. Yeah. Totally see all that. I can't wait to ask you my wrap up question before that. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor. Okay. So it's a year from now. And by the way, I know that we'll talk between now and then, but it's a year from now. And you or I realize it's been a year since this interview. And I'm going to want to ask you like, oh, what are you celebrating? Like how, how amazing has the last year been? What are the highlights? So what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I am going to have my book done, maybe two. I wrote a book called Make a Splash, and I'm going to to bulk that up a little bit. I am also right now working with an amazing local personality, and we are we are taking the stage by storm. And I want to be able to tell you that I've got a um, a destination retreat that we are going to be we are going to be teaching people how to stay positive be true to themselves and use their voices to take action on their lives. This really is the most exciting thing. And I cannot wait. Maybe, maybe I will be tuning in from uh, Jamaica or Bermuda or Hawaii. Who knows? Love it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That sounds so exciting. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. Yes. So how can people find you and follow your work? What, so what I would love is if people are interested in checking out my newsletter, I please comment on, on this podcast, say me, let's connect. 
and I'll make sure I get that into your hands. But LinkedIn is the best way to find find me. And I'd love to connect with anybody who's interested right here. Fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn, your Instagram to reginacare.net and queenofaction.com. I got all those right. Yes. Excellent. We'll put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been just a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. I want everybody to, to know that it takes just one step, the next step, take it and you'll amaze yourself. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Regina. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 356. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges or their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.